really sure why I have the music stand up here, but it's probably just to make me more comfortable. I have something to stand behind. But here it is. And, you know, maybe for, you know, preaching later. You guys doing okay? Yeah? Okay. Are you ready to sing? Let's stand. We'll sing our first song tonight. Come thou found of every blessing. Come thou found of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy. some word changes in here and I just thought it was strange that they changed the one that I know that everybody knows what it means but they didn't change the word Ebenezer because I don't think anybody I mean we don't use that word I mean do you know I mean, do you know what it means I mean song of praise okay anybody else want to take a stab at it because I, I don't know either what I mean I've heard it changed to here I raise my sign of victory so, I mean, I don't know if that's what that means, but I need to do some more thinking on that. But change one, not change the other. Oh. All right, let's see in the third verse. Here we go. Oh, to grace, how great a How great thou art.
okay, while we sing that song, right, hanging right out there. Just, uh, it's really a beautiful painting of a road with a bunch of trees up the sides. And, you know, obviously, the people that wrote this, this verse, they really meditated on the creation that God has made and thinking about, you know, the trees. Like, have you been to Sequoia National Forest? Yeah. Like General Sherman, the, brand, the first branch of General Sherman is 600 feet off the ground. You can't even really think about it, and the, the trunk is as big around as this auditorium is. It's so big, and it's just, it's unreachable how tall it is, and the first branch is 10 feet in diameter, the branch. And, uh, you know, I've been there a long time, probably when Paul was on the earth, that tree was in, you know, already growing there in California. And so, you know, God has made it you know, in, in where is it? It says that by the creation of the world, it's evident that there is a God because they see what He has made, and they know there is a Creator. Even those who have never heard a gospel or have never seen a Bible know it's in their conscience. God put it there, right? God put some things in our conscience, like we know right and wrong. We know there is a Creator. It's in there, and we just have to remind people with the Holy Spirit's prodding when we witness, say, hey, "You know there is a God. You know it's true." God put it in there. All right, let's sing on it. Sing it on the last, on the third verse here. And when I think that God is not sparing, that can you die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly
God's grace in her life. That was that was just so comforting, right? It's comforting for me because I'm I I know I I can't live up to what God has. You know, he he instituted a law that I cannot, I cannot, uh, you know, come up to that standard. But he also gave us his grace and he gave us Jesus Christ's death on the cross. And there's just nothing that can, there's just nothing that can, I can't do anything to, to earn what God has given me with his grace. And it was, it was just, I'm thankful for that right now. All right, last one. All right, let's stand. We'll sing together. May Jesus be praised. Uh, 
Uh, he was also, while he was in there, diagnosed with COVID and diagnosed with um, uh, influenza B, but they did say, you know, those are likely false readings because of the blood, uh, because of what he's going through with this. That happens a lot. So all I can tell you is when I was there visiting, I'm wearing a mask. The nurses are coming in with no mask, no gloves, no nothing. They're like, whatever. So anyway, uh, but he's, they're going to keep him another night trying to get all these all his system flushed out. Uh, so pray for Riley. Uh, Rant, Margaret Gosser was in the hospital. You might have heard on the prayer chain, but she's back home. They're sending her to, um, to a specialist, an internist, to see um, take a look at something in August, and then she's supposed to also see a rheumatoid doctor for uh, something to see. I don't know, so pray for her. Captain Bly's home after his surgery. How's he doing? Says he's doing chipper as can be. Said he, was he said he was doing good, but I know what he says. I thought, okay, so he's chipper. There you go. So uh, just pray for Captain Bly, and then I don't know of anybody else that's been in the hospital, uh, but anybody else in the hospital that we missed? In there, okay. So I uh, just pray for those folks, and then I'm just gonna. Well, we don't have Pastor Andrew in here, so I'm gonna mention. You know, we ought to be thinking about what we might want to do as a send off for he and his family. Uh, right now, their planned last Sunday is the Sunday of ice cream social. That'll give us an, at least a chance to fellowship with them intensely uh, during the day, uh, but. Um, been with us over 11 years. I feel like this, as a church, we ought to be doing something. Uh, so I'm I'm open to ideas and thoughts and all those kinds of things. And so just uh, thought I'd throw that out there at you. Drew's going to come, and when he gets done, he'll dismiss you into prayer groups. I'm going to be in a meeting about a lot of them. Well, this morning I get up here and. The mic starts popping in and out, and I'm not even moving, and I'm like, oh, no, what's going on? And, well, here we are, new set of challenges. But this is my last time I'm speaking for good. Um, I know I said it, was it, last two Sundays ago? I'm like, this is the last time you'll see me. I'm done speaking because I was going to give this time to Grant. And the pastor was like, I like the idea, Drew, but I want you to speak again. I'm like, oh, okay. So, and we found, uh, we found a way for Grant to speak on a Sunday, so that's what he's going to do. But if you would, open your Bible to Ephesians 1. Uh, I was going to speak this sermon, or preach this sermon, teach this sermon, during the last time I spoke, but something, the Lord just led me a different way, and so I ended up uh, basically doing what I'd never preached before, never taught before, and I think the Lord did it uh, for a reason, because as I was going through some stuff with myself, and then just talking with friends from home, or people who I've reconnected with as you know, they've been doing stuff, or internships, or uh, different things this summer, and just talking with them, I've realized how much, how important this passage is and how it's become crucial in the last three weeks, last two weeks for me. And so I, I came back to this passage for today. I want to ask you guys a question. I want us to dialogue, open up for some dialogue. What, if we were to divide the world today or divide the United States, how do we divide it? Two ways, how do we divide the United States today? Anyone? I had a person... Okay. Okay. Yeah. I I had someone say about that about that way. We have uh, time zones. You have East Coast time zone, which is the best time zone. They have every, every other time zone, or that the Mississippi River. You have East and the West. That's how you divide it. 
You know, we have the Midwest. That's how we divide most of the world. Like, we're the Midwest. Nobody else can be, be like us. Uh, I, I was thinking, I thought of a few. I thought of uh, Democrats and Republicans. And that would be very fun for one of pastor's interns to talk about on his last, last time speaking. Uh, another one I thought of was, uh, like the Bible, like the Bible defines the world. You have male and you have female. That's how the Bible puts it. That's how God puts it. That's it. That's final. There's no way you can change that. Uh, I thought of another one, uh, national versus foreigner. For dividing the world, you have national and you have foreigner. Or in this term, you have those who are from India, those who are not. It's been funny, like, seeing Grant and Caleb as they get acquiesced to Indy, and even myself, as I'm from the, don't razz me, I'm from the north side of Indy, and so, you know, yeah, I, yeah, I know, I, I'm from the north side of Indy, and so, but there's still, like, that thing of, you know, there's some things I don't know, and so Pastor, I'm like, yes, Drew, we have that down here, and, or, like, for Grant and Caleb, you know, Grant's from Georgia, Caleb's from Pensacola, Florida, and I'm from Indianapolis, this is my home, and so they're foreigners here, and I'm, I'm a national, I'm, I'm someone that's from here. As we look at this passage, as we read this passage, there's this phrase that comes up over and over again. It takes different forms. In verse 7, it says, in whom. In verse 9, it says, in himself. Verse 10 says the phrase, in Christ. Verse 10 again says, in him. Verse 11 says, in whom. Uh, verse 13 says, in whom. And it just continues. And uh, verse 14 doesn't say it. But it's this phrase of, in whom, or in Christ. I, I did the research, because this phrase, between. Uh, like, got, stumbled me. Like, what's in Christ? Who's in Christ? What, what do you mean by in Christ? As I look, the word means the same as the word Christian. Those who are in Christ are Christians, or me, I'm saved, I'm in Christ. The word's actually used more than the word Christian. The word Christian in the entire Bible is only used three times, whereas the phrase in Christ to define Christians is used 75. They didn't realize that. The word, phrase in Christ means me, means you, anybody who's saved. And as we look at this passage, we're going to see that there are riches to being in Christ. There are riches to Christianity. And there's this main proposition that I have. I'm going to see if this works. This is another thing that didn't work this morning, and it's not going to work again tonight. So clicker doesn't work. But the phrase, here's my main proposition, that those who are in Christ are extremely wealthy. Whereas those who are in Adam or those who aren't in Christ are extremely destitute. Why? Because of sin. What did, what did Adam do in the garden? We were, we were in perfect harmony with God, and what did Adam do? He sinned and caused eternal separation from God. And so they're destitute. Whereas we who are in Christ, we who have Christ, we are wealthy. We have these riches that nobody else has. And so we who are in Christ are extremely wealthy. And that's how this passage is divided. You have those who are in Christ, you have those who aren't. Those who are in Adam or of the world. And so we're going to see in verses 7 through 14 just four things. There's a lot of things. If we go through the entire chapter of Ephesians 1, I've, ha- I've seen pastors spend five weeks on this chapter alone, leaching out every single rich- richness that this passage has. There's a ton of doctrine in here. But in the, just 7 through 14, we find four things that we as Christians are extremely wealthy in. Verse 7, it begins, and it says that we are in Christ, we have forgiveness, or we are rich in forgiveness. Verse 7 says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins, wherein according to the riches of his grace, in Christ we have forgiveness. There comes a point in time in life where we will need forgiveness. In fact, we, man and we are born in need of forgiveness. One, way, one person that made this very clear to me was my mother. My mother, at, when I was four months old, I had, uh, I believe it was colic. 
And so I was very sick. I was always crying, always hurting. And I don't know if it was because of that or because my mom was, I'm, I'm the oldest, so my mom was first-time mother. And so sleep deprivation and other things, probably all four, but mainly me. My mom pulled me out of my cradle one, that one morning, held me up in front of her and said, you are a sinner. And the only reason I remember this is because she has never stopped telling me that. But I've needed forgiveness. I'm in need of forgiveness as a human being. Man's most, most basic need is forgiveness. And in Christ we have that. But how? With what? With what do we have this forgiveness? Well, it says in verse 7, it says, In whom, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. How do we have forgiveness? With what do we have forgiveness? Well, in Christ. It's through redemption. Redemption means to purchase to buy back. We all, how many of you are couponers? Anybody like couponing a little bit in here? Yeah, I, was, I thought there were going to be a few. I, I've couponed. Or, or like redeemed a gift card. Use the gift card to pay for food instead of using your own money. I mean, we, do, we redeem things all the time. It means the purchase to buy back. So I, I, I go and go to Starbucks. And I use my Starbucks card, my gift cards, to buy a drink instead of using my own money. We redeem things all the time, and we have been, we once were in God's family. Adam sold us out. Adam sinned. He caused enmity between God and man. But what did God do? He sent his son to buy us back, to die on the cross, and to save us. And it's, how, how do we, have, what's the payment? Well, it's through Christ's blood, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. David Guziak said, we are, not rede- we are not redeemed through his sinless life or his moral example, but only by his death in our place. Through his blood we are saved. We are redeemed. Charles Spurgeon said, observe it. It is not redemption through his power. It is through his blood. It is not redemption through his love. It is through his blood. That is the only way we can be redeemed through Christ's blood, through his sacrificial death on the cross. And so in Christ, we have forgiveness. It's, uh, but how? Like, that's often like when I get told I have something, like, okay, that's my question. Like, how much do I have? Like, okay, you have time, you can stay up later. Okay, mom and dad, how much time can I stay up later? Or, okay, one of my teachers has told me, like, you can, you know, you can skip this assignment. Well, for how long? <laughs> like, how long can I put this assignment off? How much forgiveness do we have? Well, it said that in verse, it says in verse, at the end of verse, verse 7, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It's based on the riches of his grace. So the question becomes not how much forgiveness we ha- do we get, but how much grace does God have? That's the question I'm posing to you. I want, I want to answer. How much grace does God have? Huh? Unending? I hear that. Unlimited? We have unlimited grace. We have unlimited access to the proverbial bank of, bank of grace. The, a pastor used this analogy once. He said, imagine you, you get a notification on your phone. It's the bank saying, congratulations, I'm paying off your car. And then you're like, okay, because you're not supposed to be looking at your phone in church, you put it away and you're like, I'll deal with it later. And then you get another message. It says, congratulations, I'm paying off your house. And then five minutes later, you get another one. It's, congratulations, I'm paying off your student loans. Now you in your mind know that's going to take five years to pay off your car, 15 years to pay off your mortgage, and 180 years to pay off your house, or your student loans. But you, you, you start to begin to wonder, why, how is this happening? You call the bank, and they say, well, uh, you have something called unlimited money. You can buy whatever you want, you can do whatever you want, and you'll never empty the bank account. That's the idea here. We have unlimited access, we have unlimited grace to use. We can use as much, we can take out as much as we want. But there's also a caveat to this, I think. 
And based on the passage, it says we have according to riches grace, but Colossians 3, 9 and 10 says, seeing that you have put off the old man and his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that is created. You have un- we have unlimited forgiveness, and I can, I can ask for as much forgiveness as I want, but should I want to continually go back to God and ask, Can't, I need forgiveness. Forgive me, God, forgive me. If I'm supposed to be more like Christ, we are to put off the old man. We are to put away our sinful deeds. Like Dave Young said multiple times, I've quoted, I've said this quote many times, I'm to wake up alive to Christ and dead to sin. The more we know about God's forgiveness, the more it should lead us away from sin and not to it. We have unlimited forgiveness. But we shouldn't want to use it. We should want to be walking away and using less and less of it as we grow in Christ. And so he says, you have unlimited forgiveness. He also says, you have, you have in Christ we have knowledge. Verse 8 says this, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. In Christ we have knowledge. Knowledge is a very important thing. We have an entire book of the Bible all centered on knowledge and gaining knowledge and how to find knowledge. The knowledge we need to understand why we have it and what we know because of grace. Because this, this sentence, the verses 3 through 14, is all one in the Greek, all one big sentence. And so if we take it off based on the end of verse 7, it says, According to the riches of, of his grace, wherein he hath abound toward us in all wisdom and truth. We know because of grace. It says here he abounded. Abound means to overflow or to exceed. Or uh, one of the definitions was superabound. It's like an explosion. Uh, my idea when you think when I think of it and I try to imagine what what's going on here, the idea is like when you're cooking rice or noodles, and you step away from the pot and the heat, your heat just keeps on boiling, boiling, and it overflows. That's the idea of here. It's abounding. God is overflowing us with grace, and He's overflowing us with in this grace with with wisdom, the understanding of ultimate things, and with prudence practical understanding. The idea here is that he's given you the head knowledge, you know the facts, you know what to do it, and he's also given you the idea of how to walk it out, how to live it out, the prudence on how to take the right steps. So we know, we know because of grace. But the question remains, well, what do we know? If we know, we have this knowledge, but what do we know? And he says in verse 9, he says, having made known unto us, what do we know? We know the mystery of his will, that according to his good pleasure he has purposed in himself. We know the mystery of his will. When, when we think of mystery, what do we think? When we think of mystery, we often think like what? Like Scooby-Doo or Hallmark movies and mysteries. Like who done it? Like there's something to be solved here. In the Bible, mystery is different. Mystery is not a uh, sci-fi film that we you know, got to go and find the culprit. No, mystery in the Bible is a sacred secret kept by God. The sacred secret that God is keeping till you're saved. And the will is another word for plan. And so what is it saying? He's saying, having made known, God made known unto us the sacred secret of his plan. He's making known unto us his plan. You say, Drew, okay, thank you for all this detail of what mystery and plan. Well, what is his plan? That's what verse 10 tells us. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. There's two parts to this plan that Christ has. The first part is that one day he's going to gather us all together. 
One day he's going he's gonna re, to regroup everybody. That in the dispensation or the, the economy, this time period is done. When this time period is done, God's going to come, Christ is going to come and gather everyone, else, everyone together. Both which are in heaven, which are on earth, even in him. He's going to regroup everybody back with him. There's also a second part found in Revelation 21.5. It says, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. He sent unto me right for these words of true and faithful. First part is God's going to get us all back together. He's going to rejoin us all with our loved ones, with everyone. We're going to come back and meet him in the air. The second part is he's going to make everything new. There will be no more sin. There will be no, no more death. It's going to be all brand new. And that's Christ's plan. That's Christ's plan. And we know that. It's interesting how much like, just this, this helps us know. Because we know what the future is. We may not know the day-to-day future, but we know that one day Christ is going to return. We know that one day they will all be taken care of. It's interesting, we were talking about Riley and uh, everything that's going on with him. It's interesting, I looked back at some stats about COVID, and when COVID first came out, I want to say it was like in the first like two months, they changed the guidelines like 180-something times because they didn't know what was going on. They didn't understand what was happening. Now, none of us knew, but the best scientists, the best doctors that knew that were supposed to know what was going on, they didn't understand. And so they kept on rewriting rules, kept on rewriting things, because they didn't know. And here's the thing, we know. We may not know when Christ is coming, but we know one day Christ will return. We know one day that everything will be taken care of. Some people don't know that. That's where we have to go and we have to spread the gospel. We have to go and share the gospel so that they can know that, that there is a hope. We know God's sacred plan. We know his sacred secret. That in the dispensation, that at the end of this time, he's going to gather us all together. That's Christ's plan. Why did God do this? Well, it says in verse 9, it says, According to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed himself. Why did God do it? God didn't have to tell us his plan. God didn't have to show us what he's planning on doing. Why did he do it? Because he wanted to. God wanted to show us his plan. God wanted to give us a glimpse into what he is planning and how he's going to use us and how he's going to, put, how he's going to fix everything according to his good pleasure, which he purposed himself. And so in Christ, we have, we have, a, we have forgiveness. In Christ, we have knowledge. And the third thing that we have in, in Christ is a relationship. A relationship. Verse 11 says, In whom, or in Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Relationships are probably the most important things in our lives, right? Relationships, for some of us, it's with our, with our bosses, for relationships with our bosses. We need to make sure that we have a good relationship with our boss, otherwise repercussions will come. With our family, we, a lot of families need to have good relationships, every family needs to have good relationships with their children, with their parents. It's an important thing to have good relationships. For some people, they need to have good relationships with their employees. Relationships are possibly the most important thing. But the most important relationship we can ever have is our relationship with God. And in Christ, we have a relationship. This relationship involves inheritance. You say, Drew, this, this is getting good. We get an inheritance? Let's go! Verse, verse 11 says, In whom, in Christ, also we've obtained an inheritance. It involves an inheritance. It's interesting, this inheritance isn't like a you know, normal one that we think of. Like when someone uh, passes away, he leaves a will. This, this will is left for us. In Christ, the, 
the inheritance is a little different. Because our inheritance isn't any physical thing. It's actually, our inheritance is Christ. The, the phrase, verbiage can be changed. It can be changed of, we also have been made an inheritance and been given an inheritance, but we've also been made one for Christ. We are co-heirs. We have been made an inheritance. We also have gotten an inheritance. This is the same inheritance that the Levites got. In Deuteronomy 18, 1 and 2, the, it says, The priests, the Levites, and all the tribes of Levi shall take, have no part nor inheritance with, the, with Israel. They shall eat the offering of the Lord made by fire and his inheritance. Therefore, they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance. And since you have a picture of the, the, when the tribes were spread out. And we see there's 12 tribes of Israel, there's 12 sons of Jacob, right? But Manasseh and Ephraim, Manasseh the biggest tribe up there, and then Ephraim the, the, one of the smallest, those are two sons of Jacob. This means that one of the or two sons of Joseph. That means one of the sons of Jacob was cut out of the will, or cut out of the land grant. This was the Levites. The Levites weren't given any land like the rest of the tribes were. They were, they were given the Lord. That's, that was their inheritance. But they didn't need what the other tribes were getting. because The Levites were the priestly tribe of Israel. They were the ones that communicated with God, that, that worked to God in worship. And so like the Levites, we don't want or don't need what this world has to offer. We don't need Adam's family. We don't need this worldly inheritance because of the sin that is in it. What Matthew six nineteen through 20 says? It says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. We shouldn't want to invest. We shouldn't want our inheritance to be here, because what will happen? It will corrode. It will fade away. Our inheritance is in heaven with Christ, where it will never go away. It will never fade away. It will be forever. That is our inheritance. What is, it? what is this relationship? It's based on God's plan and not our merit. Verse, 12, verse 11 says, Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. It's based on God's plan. See, God chose that to make Christians holy and blameless, as he says in verse 4. He says that we, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He chose, in verse 5, to make us adopted having predestinated, predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Verse, seven, verse 6, it says, He chose to give us acceptance, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. And then verse 11 says, He chose to give us an inheritance, in whom we also have obtained or been given an inheritance. It's based on God's plan. We could have asked Jesus to come to our heart, and he's just like, all right, that's it. But he chose that after we get saved, we will then become holy and blameless. We will become set apart before him, and blameless. Not only that, but he chose not only just to do that, but he chose to adopt us. Make us as one of his own. Or to give us a home when we didn't have one. When we were out on the street, when we were not saved, when we were out on the street, falling away, and we asked him to come, he took us in. And he also made us accept it. He made us like one of his own, like his own son. He made us like one of his own. And then he, he's like, hey, not only are you one of my own, but you're going to get part of the inheritance. And why, why do you do this? Verse 12 says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Why did, I, why did God do anything that we should be the praise of his glory? God isn't here to praise us. We are here to praise him. Why? For what he has given us. God has blessed us all beyond measure. 
uh, there's a, uh, well, I think it's a song, Jesus is better. God has, God has given us blessings. Or may Jesus be praised. No matter what comes up in life, may Jesus be praised. May Jesus get the glory. Like for what he's done. He saved us. He sanctified us. That we should be the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. And so Paul says here, Paul's going down the list. He says, in Christ we have, we have forgiveness. In Christ we have knowledge. In Christ we have a relationship. And then fourthly, in Christ we have the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, it says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with, the whole, with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of the, our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession. There's that phrase again, unto the praise of His glory. In Christ we have the Holy Spirit. Why is the Holy Spirit so important for Christians? Like, we, we talked about it a little bit. I've, I've kind of talked about the Holy Spirit a little bit. In, like, Matt, Acts 16, we're talking about how Paul was led by the Spirit. And pa- Pastor talked about how Paul was led by the Spirit on Sunday. The Spirit's important. But what does He do for us? Well, first, He's our sealing. Verse 13, it says, Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. There's a prerequisite to this, to the sealing, though. Because it says we have to trust. We have to believe. That's what it says in the beginning of verse 13. It says, In whom ye also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, after you heard it, and after you believed, ye were sealed. The sealing has some, uh, the sealing has some parts to it. They're all definitions of like, what this sealing is to be. It's a finished transaction, an ownership, a security and protection, and an authenticity. The finished transaction, I see it as, you know, somebody asks Jesus to come in his heart, and so Jesus sends the Holy Spirit down to kind of sign the mortgage, sign the dotted line. The, the, uh, the ownership, it's not only that he signs the dotted line, but he starts rebuilding it. He takes ownership. It's his. I am the whole, I, I, this tabernacle is the Holy Spirit's tabernacle house. It's also security and protection. He's going to start building up walls. He's going to start fixing it. He's going to start refurbishing, remodeling this, old, this sinful vessel. It's an authenticity. Have you ever noticed, like, pa- uh, Pastor was talking about with pa- how Pastor Hughes changed after he got saved? Pastor Hughes, once he got saved, Pastor Hughes was one of that. His walk changed. His talk changed. That's how the, that's the Holy Spirit's work. Once you're saved, your twa- walk changed, your talk changed. It's a security protection, like I said. Like, you ever put, um, so you ever make a salad for a bunch of people, and nobody eats it? And then you're like, okay, we're going to put saran wrap to protect it so we can eat it the next day, and it's just going to go bad anyway, but we're going to try and protect it. That's, that's the security and protection. It's, it's, God, it's the Holy Spirit covering us, putting a hedge of protection, putting something around us to protect us. And what was the Holy Spirit was promised? Jesus in John 14 said the Holy Spirit would come and would fill you. He's not only our ceiling, but he's our guarantee. Verse 14 says, which is, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. There's that phrase again, until the praise of his glory, which is the earnest. How, how, many, of you, right, how many of you bought a house? Right? Did you put down earnest money? Did you have to put down earnest money? Yeah, it's a word we still kind of use today, earnest. It, it means a down payment. When we put down earnest money on a house, it's, it's us telling the banks, or when we put down earnest money on anything, it's us telling the bank, we will come through, we will finish our payments, we will not stop paying you, because we put down this huge down payment. And for God, it's, it's God saying, it's God's intention to follow through. God's not going to forsake us, God's not going to forget us, He's going to follow through, He's given us the Holy Spirit. 
And he's with us until the redemption, until the purchasing or the buying back of us, first his possession. He's with us. He's with us until everything is finished. He is our comforter, as John 14, 16 says. He is our comforter. And why again? Unto the praise of his glory. Why did God do it? So that we would praise him. Because he has given us holy spirit. Because he has given us these riches. And to praise his glory. Say, Drew, okay, what's the point? You've rattled off some riches that God has given us. What's your point? The riches of Christianity are so much better than what this world has to offer, what Adam's family wealth is. I know it's because men who have tried to get this world's wealth have said it doesn't work. A man like John D. Rockefeller, who was the world's first billionaire, he once said this. He said, uh, he says, wrong to assume that men of immense wealth are always happy. It's interesting. John D. Rockefeller was the world's first billionaire. Why would he say this? He had anything anyone could ever ask for in that time. He had all the money in the world that people could imagine. And yet he's saying it's wrong to assume that men of immense wealth are always happy. He's saying this because for years, John D. Rockefeller was so scared that people would come in, kill, his, kill him, kill his wife, kill his family, and steal his money that he had guards outside his house and inside his house, next, two or three guards next to each one of his family members' doors, making sure that he was protected. He also, for three years, could not eat anything but milk and crackers because he was so consumed with how he would lose his wealth that he could not properly digest food. That's why it's wrong to assume that men of immense wealth are always happy, as John D. Rockefeller said. Jim Carrey, famous actor, comedian, and producer, who uh, I know mostly because of the Grinch movie, said this. He said, I hope everybody could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of but they know it's not the answer. This man could have in his prime, could have any movie he ever wanted. He could do whatever he wanted, really. He could make any joke and nobody would care about it. He could direct any movie and everyone, every movie would be a box office hit. And he said, it's not the answer. He knew it wasn't the answer. Tom Brady has won seven Super Bowls at this time, but when this, when this quote came out, he had won three at the age of 27. Something that was impossible hasn't happened yet since then. In the 60-minute interview after his third Super Bowl at the age of 27, he was asked, what's next for Tom Brady? And he said, there has to be more than life than this. This became the monologue of, if you were to ask Tom Brady what's his favorite ring, he'd tell you the next one. He's not talking about his wife or his former wife at this point. He's talking about his Super Bowls. Because he's always seeking, he's always trying to be better, he's always trying to get that next Super Bowl. Because what happened, the last Super Bowl didn't fulfill him. The last touchdown, the last thing he won, didn't fulfill him. So he always was trying to get more. He always was trying to get more. And what happened, there has to be more life in this. Oh, that we would tell Tom, oh, there is more life in this. There's more life in football. There's a Savior. And so, the riches of this world, this world riches are not the answer. Jesus is. As the song says, the wild song that was the theme song for uh, 2020 and 2021, Jesus is better. These, uh, I forget the exactly, but uh, there's a line that says, Jesus is better than riches and fame, than anything else. Jesus is stronger than anything that can come up. Jesus is greater than anything that can come up upon us. Jesus is better. But do we believe that? Do we live that way? Do we realize that? I, I, I can tell it myself. I forgot about the riches of Christianity, even being here and serving with Pastor John and Pastor Andrew. There are times where I forget, and I get into my time, I get into my trials, I get into my t- things that I'm going through, 
And I forget how good God is. And the fact that he's, he's just forgiven me, let alone given me knowledge, a relationship with him that I can go to any time and ask questions and talk to him and, and read his word and pray to him. And he's also given me the Holy Spirit to guide me. I've even forgotten him. How often do we forget the riches of Christianity? The things that God has given us. Jesus is better than anything else in this world. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the ability to come and worship and gather together. I pray, Lord, that we would all realize that you are better than anything this world can offer us, than anything that uh, we find in this world. I pray, Lord, that we would lean on you, we would seek your face every day, and that we would rely on you and who you are, and not ourselves, not who we are, not uh, anything we try and do. I pray, Lord, that you help us. I pray, Lord, as we take prayer requests, that uh, we would have a fruitful time in this, Lord. I pray all in your precious and powerful name. Amen. Uh, if anybody have any prayer requests, uh, pray for Riley, as Pastor said earlier. I talked to him this morning. He called me, and he's just really, he's not happy. Uh, he's getting a little ornery with everything going on. Um, so just pray for him. And then other, a couple others that Pastor mentioned that I've already forgotten. Um, any other prayer requests? <laughs> Miss Faith? Who is the first one again? Juanita. Juanita. All right. All right. Anybody else? Yeah. She has to pray for my father. Uh, he just recently has come down pretty hard with Lyme disease. Uh, so you'll be praying for him. His post is broken, so he's gluten dealing with a lot of stuff on top of this. I'll be praying for him as he tries to rebuild. I've had that happen to me once, and I do not want it to happen again. So I was playing capture flag at the wilds and stepped on a yellow jacket's nest, and uh, that was not fun. Uh, Willie took me there in the care really fast that day. Uh, anybody else? Mrs. Ann? You can all go ahead and break up into prayer groups, and whenever you're done, you can go.